Hey, we are uh, entering the final sections of uh, walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. We'll get there here in just a minute. Um, We're in the final 17 verses. It's interesting, the last two Sundays... We've been pouring ourselves into 17 verses. We have 17 verses in the book left. We're going to actually take five Sundays for these uh, last 17 verses. So kind of the train is slowing down as we come to the station at the end of our journey through the book of Thessalonians and really going to enjoy them. Uh, The last 17 verses have been about future days, about the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Uh, These next 17 verses, we could say, are about present days. They're about God's people uh, living now. It's kind of going from future heavenly activities to present earthly activities as God's people. Um, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they finish out this letter uh, to God's people in Thessalonica. And um, everything is brought back to what's happening here and now. Uh, Here and now matters. And so as they come off of this conversation about what's ahead in God's redemptive plans, he, they bring it back, I think, to remind us, listen, in light of that, now matters. And uh, now is very important, and here especially is a community of God's people. And it's interesting, the subject in these last 17 verses that they start about in talking about God's people residing in community, the subject they talk about is that community in relationship with leadership. Um, it's a sad thing, but a commentator said that uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy start with the number one divider of community among God's people, and that's God's people with leadership. I mean, how sad is that? I mean, what a, what a sad testimony to the world that oftentimes that is the capable, uh, situation. And I just want to say to you, by the way, as, as one of the leaders here, I'm so grateful for you. I mean, we're nine years into this, and you have just been a dream people to lead. Uh, You have been so kind and so wonderful as we're talking about what's going on today. You have been this, okay? But the text is in this, so we need to be reminded of what's happening with this. So I just begin by a massive thank you. So here we are. We're starting kind of these 17 verses about a church on the move as a people in community, Um, By the way, I want to note that these verses assume that God's people are living in community. They assume that. And that's an interesting thing because I think today we live in a day and age where God's people do not assume that. Um, In fact, we kind of live in a day and age where it's interesting. I think people desire community, but at the same time of desiring community, uh, people and even God's people oftentimes demand total independence. And I'll just say, those two come in conflict with each other. Desiring community, but also demanding self-independence, it doesn't work. And and honestly, I think that's why, in so many ways, Church in America has had a hard time uh, over some decades with some various things with that. Um, So I just want to take a couple minutes on the thoughts of community, because the text assumes that. A scripture assumes that God's people live in community. It calls for God's people to not just associate or hang with periodically, but it has this idea of God's people residing in community together, living in community together. And, and I would say from creation to eternity, you see God's design of his people living in community together. And why is that? Um, 
I would say the reason for that is because the designers live in community. Okay, theologically, why did the Godhead design things to reside in community? Answer, because that's who the Godhead is. The Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, reside in perfect community together. It's, it's an uh, uh, ordered, loving community of the three residing in unified plurality. I would say it's compl- a complementarian relationship. It's uh, not as we would call today. It's not an egalitarian relationship within the Trinity. It's a complementarian relationship, reality of what's going on. The three are all fully equal. They're all holy, they they are all powerful, they're all God, yet uniquely distinct at the same time. And that distinctness is a strength in the reality of who the Godhead is. And by the way, as I've gone through scripture, and I've gone through good bits of it over my time, and I would say this, I've never seen the Godhead fussing about their complementary relationship, unified plurality. I've never seen the Spirit going, you know what, I kind of got gypped. Like, I want to be the one who's out front and getting this or that. Or, 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 see what I'm saying? I mean, the Godhead resides in perfect, respectful, even submissive relationship to and, and with one another for, on purpose. And I would say this. Uh, think of creation. God has designed creation the way he is. Uh, I just got some items here. The stars. All kinds of stars. But every one of them are unique. And yet we call them all stars. Uh, Grass. All kinds of grass. Crabgrass. And then good grass. (laughs) And yet they're all grass, right? I mean, the clouds. All kinds of clouds. But we go out and go, that looks like, that looks like. And, And yet they're clouds. And yet they're all unique unto themselves. And they're beautiful in the uniqueness. Who wants a, who wants an earth with all the same looking clouds? Uh, Okay, maybe I'm getting a bit odd. I do. I want them all unique. I want them looking different because it reflects who God is in his creation. The trees, there's not one tree. There's all kinds of trees. And they complement one another in the beauty of that. When you landscape, you landscape with different kinds of things and the, the difference of those work together to show the beauty of what God has created. I would also say it's the same thing with humanity. God not only created creation in that way, but in his creation, humanity is created that way. All, look at this room, all are different. And that's a beautiful thing. Even uh, God didn't create women and men, and all the women look alike and are alike. Even there's complementary reality within, within the sexes. Women are different from each other. Men are different from each other. Just look in the room again. God has created that, and then God even designed marriage for a man and a woman to reside in relationship together in such a way that it's a complementing relationship in, in every way of that. All of these are then residing in this reciprocal relationship globe reality of what's going on. And then we come to the body of Christ. We come even to the local church. And the local church is not everybody the same. 
Everybody in this room is at different places in their understanding of the Lord, in their walk with the Lord, in their maturity with the Lord, in the things that are wor- they are working on. We are all unique. It is not about producing lemmings. It is about a unified plurality of people working together, growing together, displaying essentially who the Godhead is. The Godhead loves it when there is unity among different things, 1 Corinthians 12. And when those things are working together, it's a beautiful thing. By the way, speaking of beautiful things, our grandson has uh, just started to walk. And in fact, in modern day technology, we actually got that on video. And I knew that you would love to see this happen. So, uh, team, would you help us and let us see this beautiful event? Oh! Oh! Boom! (laughs) Okay, now... Okay, why am I doing that? I don't know. <laughs> no, literally, this just happened like within the last week and a half. Okay, physiologically, a body is comprised of all kinds of components, okay? The, the actual body to be able to physiologically walk is a stunning thing that has to happen. Okay, physiologically, when you work the science of it all out. It's an amazing thing that any human can walk. And here's what happens. You have all these different components. And when they start operating in sync, it's a glorious, celebratory thing. And what was happening in that room, literally, that was like the first time he took that many steps ever And in that, at the end of it, we're like, woo! We're like raising the roof in celebration. Might I say, that is what the Godhead does when his people, uniquely created, designed, brought together, when they function like that, the Godhead is like, glory be, right? Okay, got that picture? When God's people reside in community together and they function in unity, it is not just a good thing. It is a glory-giving to God awesome thing. And so here in this whole text, they begin by starting about this whole leadership functioning in unison kind of thing for the Lord's glory. So a local church that's on the move is a people living that is reflecting the community of God himself in that. So don't take it lightly. It's not a functional thing. It's not a human requested thing. It is a God called out, God glorifying thing. It is a divine reality, okay? When we talk about community. Well, let's with that on the table, let's dive into our text here and uh, let, let's see what's happening here. We got two verses today, two verses I'm kind of waiting for celebration, but that's okay. (laughs) Two verses here, verses 12 and 13. Let's get right at it. 
Here we go. Let's work this as opposed to verse by verse. We're going to work this kind of phrase by phrase. So God, I pray, would you just uh, show yourself, help us uh, grow uh, to be more like you. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 12. We ask you, brothers, we ask you, sisters, to respect those. Okay, let's work this phrase. There's actually three people being addressed here, three groups of people. There's the we That's Paul, Silas, and Timothy that is behind this. We, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we ask you, this is the brothers and sisters, this is the general population, if you will, of brothers and sisters at a local church in Thessalonica. If this is your church home, it's talking to you. It's talking to us, okay? The you is addressing uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in a local church. And then there's, and it says, we ask of you. So they are asking of uh, you. They are asking of the general population. I just want to note, this is not a direct, direct ask of the those. This is a direct ask of the yous. Uh, it's very important with this. But the those, listen up. Who are the those? Well, that's a good question. Because it says those, those who. Uh, We're going to learn who those are, but this is someone within the general population of a local church are the those. With me? Paul, Silas, and Timothy are the we. There's the you, the general population of a local church, and then there's the those. Those who, let's find out. Uh, There are those who do three things in this text. Three things. But before we get to those three, the yous are being asked something uh, uh, in this. So we ask you, brothers, we ask you, sisters, to respect those who, by the way, let's pause because I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk about what you are supposed to do. There's this first one, there's a respect. Verse 12, the yous are asked to, I'm going to term it as, uh, I am asked to recognize. I am asked to recognize. English Standard Version says respect. I personally, I think it's too similar to the next ask. Uh, New International Version says appreciate. The New International Version uh, uh, says acknowledge in this. This is kind of, we got a few tricky words to actually translate out. Let me give you kind of the root idea behind this word respect in English Standard Version here. It's, it's, it comes out of this root word of to know something, to understand something. So know this. This is not something that is very lighthearted. It's not saying, hey, hey, you're to respect or in, in just like, a, I respect George Washington or I respect, you know, what's happened over the course of history. It's not talking about that lighthearted. It comes from a word that contains the idea of having knowledge of. In other words, I would say it this, it, it's knowledge with understanding. It's knowledge with an understanding is what's going on here. In fact, I think that can be shown. The exact form of the word is used by Jesus to Peter when Jesus says, you will deny that you know me. This word is used. You will deny not just that you know about me. That's not what he's talking about. You're going to deny that you know me, that you know who I am, that you, that you know what I am about, that you know that I am, that you understand that I am the Messiah. You're going to deny that. It's not just a general knowledge. It's also used by Paul. Paul says, I decided to know nothing while I was with you but Jesus. He's talking about a knowledge that goes deep. 
A knowledge that has breadth, a knowledge that has roots and understanding to it. In 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 4, each one of you are to know how to control your own body. It's the same word that's used here. Know how to control your own body, that's like understanding knowledge. That has a depth to it. So what's being asked here is, is uh, we ask you brothers, we ask you sisters to have a knowledge of those. To have a knowledge with understanding. And it's about a relationship because it's a knowledge with understanding about an association of relationship. It's you with the those. There is to be a knowledge of based on understanding. It's kind of like I recognize the those, whoever they are yet, I recognize the those with a depth of knowledge and understanding that they play a significant part and importance in the relation to our life in this community as God's people. It's like I recognize that. Okay, that's what's going on. The general population of believers, as this is speaking at this time, we are asked to recognize those. We are asked to have a knowledge with understanding of those. By the way, when we get into this, I'm not going to dive into that. I just don't have time today to dive into it. But I'll just say this. It's not just knowing about who those individuals are. But I might even say this. One of the things of the those, they yearn to be known by you as to who they are. Not just a title. Not just a commodity. Not just a face. They want to have relationship with you. Go get to know them. Go get to know them. Um, They invite that. I am asked to recognize verse 12. I'm going to go to verse 13 and kind of put on the table what we are asked first. Secondly, I am asked to highly regard. We are asked to highly regard. English Standard Version, New American Standard Version says, esteem them very highly. New International Version, hold in highest regard. Literally, this has the idea, the the idea of to think, consider, or regard. And then there's another word along this. To think, consider, regard quite beyond all measure. So that's why we have this esteem highly, to hold in highest regard. It's, I recognize, I know with understanding, and I highly respect, I highly regard that. It leads to the question of, who are the those? Uh, Who are those that we're to recognize and highly regard? And here's what's cool, the text answers that. And uh, the those are to do three things in the community of God's people. So what are the three things? Who are the those that we are to recognize and highly uh, regard. Um, Aren't you wondering that? Good, here we go. Verse 12. God's people are asked to recognize and highly regard those who labor among us. Uh, We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you. That's the first item here. Uh, Those who labor among us. Labor, the word that's used here is not just talking about light labor, it's talking about heavy labor. It's actually used to refer to difficult, exhausting labor. It's exerting energy to the point of fatigue and weariness. It speaks of one who's not afraid to sweat and to work hard. Um, Loving, I'll just say, loving leadership is hard, it's fatiguing, it's wearying, it's soul-draining. It is. By the way, we're not just talking about the person up in front of you. We are talking about people who are doing these things, and that includes, can I even just say small group leaders? Is it not laboring? True? It is exhausting. It is fatiguing. Serving with our kids' ministries. It is work. Sometimes you wake up on a Sunday morning, and you're like, the last thing I want to do is wipe a snotty face. I love to see him walk, but the rest of the stuff I could kind of go without. It's hard work. 
Ministry is labor. Note, it's labor, and I even want to note here, it's among us. That laboring is done among. It's not far off. It's not away and away from laboring, but among. I've heard it said, good shepherds smell like their sheep. And the only way you can smell like your sheep is to be with your sheep. Good shepherds smell like their sheep. And the only way to smell like your particular sheep is if you are with your sheep. Far off away from them does not give you the smell. It just doesn't. By the way, Paul is such an example of this. I mean, here he is laboring among God's people. Even in the text earlier, he, he, is, he is working as a bivocational pastor, if we want to call it that. He's working hard all day, laboring not to be a burden to God's people. And most likely at night, he's just pouring it out, working hard at night, all night long, and, and during the day, smelling like a sheep. That's what leaders do. That's what those who are among do. Those who labor among in such a way. By the way, Jesus did it too. Think about that. The second person of the Trinity. I mean, why did he come here? I mean, frankly, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, I'm staying there. But he comes to live among his sheep. And by the way, why didn't he just come and go immediately to the cross? He could have. But he lives among. Come, follow me. He smelled like his sheep. The shepherd knows his sheep. That's what good shepherds do and are. I'm asked to recognize and highly regard those who labor among us. Secondly, I am asked, we are asked to recognize and hardly, highly regard those who are over us. We ask you, brothers, we ask you, sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. In the Lord. Um, this idea of over you also is a, another challenging word to translate into English understanding. It can highlight leadership. It can highlight the idea of protection. It can highlight the idea of aiding of. It can highlight the idea of caring of. Um, it literally means to stand before with a sense of presiding or leading or having directing authority. Their leadership authority is not dictatorial. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. Know this. This kind of leadership is not dictatorial. It is not them. It is not in their self. It is not in their strength. It is not from their skill set. Look at the text. It is in the what? The Lord. It is in the Lord. Their duty is to lead the sheep for the great shepherd. They are under shepherds. They are under shepherds for the Lord's glory. They're not in it for their self-power. They're not in it for their self-wealth. They're not in it for their self-career. They're not in it for their self-name. They're in it for the fame of the name of the Lord. I'm a bit intense on this one today because much of this is not happening today. There's a tendency for leaders to get caught up in what God has given to them. And the idea here includes regarding and resting in that laboring leadership of those who have the responsibility of oversight. Let me say this to the we. Uh, this is not leadership worship. Because it's in the Lord. It's not worshiping the person. It's, hold on to that thought, the text will tell us here in a little bit. Leaders, those who have an over 
responsibility who are laboring among and over. By the way, these are not individuals. These all three go together. I'm kind of thinking of elders and pastors and staff. I'm thinking of small group leaders. I'm thinking of student ministry leaders, children's leaders. Hey, um, I just lovingly want to give a word here. There's a potential in every leader capacity to breed pride. The title, the responsibility, they just become cesspools for our own namesake. Think of Numbers 20. Moses strikes the rock in irritation at the people. Go read it, Numbers 20. So do we have to do this for you again? I get it now. I get why God was so hard on him as a result of that. Because it's not about his fame of his name. It's about the Lord's name in it. And ministry can easily become our own self-kingdoms. It's my thing. It's my way. It's my name. It's my glory. I'll even just say it. I'm the founding pastor. So what? So crazy what? The Lord's the founding one. In all of things. I'm just saying, watch yourself. We live in a world that is all about legacy building. And it's creeping into the church. And I'm not just saying pastors, I'm saying all over the place in the church. And it's not right. My ears feel warm and red. I'm telling you, friends, I want for you to know. This is the Lord's thing that every one of us are doing, right? It's for the fame of the name of the Lord, not our own. By the way, this leads us to the third item. I got through that. I'm asked to uh, recognize and highly regard those who admonish us. Those who admonish us. See in the text... uh, it tells us here, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and those who are over you in the Lord and those who admonish you. Admonish. Those who give instruction is kind of the main roots of this word here. Instruction that changes and corrects. It's especially instruction that goes at our thinking. It's doctrinal. It goes at our actions. It has a moral living reality to it. It's they're saying the kinds of things that we generally don't want to say to ourselves. You know, we get so easy on ourselves sometimes, and sometimes we need those around who are there to speak into our lives who are saying things that we might not normally say to ourselves because we want to be easy on ourselves. But listen, we don't want hard guys and hard gals all over the place crushing us, do we? I'm like, where's the hope in that? I mean, it's a loving coming alongside. It's a loving instruction. And uh, I'll just say we live in a time where the gospel is a soft sale. 
God's word is tweaked to condone things. It candy coats things so that it's comfortable, so that it, anybody from the world can come along and go, I'm with that. But if I remember right, the gospel even says that it is offensive at times. There are things that are hard in it. Oftentimes it's just presented as a come and pray a prayer, easy believism kind of a thing. It's, it's attend this local church and we'll serve your every wish. It has a tendency to not call truth, truth, and to not call sin, sin. And uh, I don't want to say that as a hard guy, but we're afraid to offend anyone nowadays. And the truth of the matter is the, the scriptures are true, and there is sin, and we all fall, and we all need loving help, don't we? And that's why we're here. That's why you're here together. Uh, because that's what the Lord loves. In fact, uh, for 2 Timothy 3.16, God's word is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, training in righteousness. It includes reproof and correction in there. That's kind of the idea, instruction with that. 2 Timothy 4.1 and 2, preach the word, and it includes reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I even pray that as we go through the book of Jonah that it would admonish us on some things, come in and make us uncomfortable, that the book itself would lean into our lives in small groups and would press us and push us and and reveal areas of of needed change in our life and yet within it all have grand hope to press ahead because of our great and wonderful God. God's people here in the text are asked to recognize and highly regard those who labor among us those who are over us, and those who admonish us. By the way, these should kind of be things in our cultural DNA. And what I mean by that is, I'm just going to say it straight on the table, I read through so many commentators, and so much of this text is directly taken to, kind of taught into a thing, it's all about pastors, but actually it's directed at the body. But there's things for pastors to learn in that, but it's also not just about pastors. This is about people who are doing these three things. Laboring among us, have some kind of overing us, have some kind of admonishing, pouring into our lives and lovingly pressing into our lives. There's all kinds of people here that are doing that. And there should just be a culture within God's people of of a respect and a recognition of that. And we live in a day and age where, my goodness, you can, you can smack talk anybody online anytime you want. And it's got to be watched because our DNA is supposed to be, uh, look at the text. Because something needs to be highlighted. Because it's not about the person. It's about their work. God's people do not recognize and highly regard those because of that person, but because of their work. Look at verse 13. And to esteem them and to hold them highly uh, in love um, because of their work. It's recognizing their work is different than even having first and foremost the person. Let me say that again. The thing first and foremost out on the front of us should be knowing and understanding, even including the work that those do. And then loving them and grateful for them as a result of the work that they do. It's not the person first. The person and persons are involved in the work, but it's an understanding of the work. I'll just note this. Those who have this kind of leading capacity, 
would far rather know what God is doing, how God is doing a work in you through their ministry with and to you than having them note you. That makes sense? My wife says say it again, so that it's time to say it again. People who are laboring among you, over you, instructing you in various capacities, would far rather receive encouragement not because of their person, but because of the work that God is doing through you to them. Less you are awesome, more, I just want to thank you because the Lord's been doing a work in my life through that and I'd like to tell you what that is. I cannot tell you how that will bless your small group leader, your children's ministry teacher, your area leader, your pastors and elders, that will bless them far beyond anything about them personally. And it will help them keep themselves on track. Kind of alluded to it, but I've got to hear my notes. Uh, In my opinion, I think there's a cancer going on in church leadership today. There's too much personality pastoring. There's too much celebrity pastoring. There's too much CEO pastoring going on today. Who in the world, can I even just say it here, straight up with you? Who in the world, and by the way, where's, what's the deal with senior pastor? I'm like, I'm kind of out on that title right now. It's like, who in the world can be all of that? Who can be all of that? Instead, 1 Corinthians 12, God has gifted, God has equipped God's people uniquely to function together. There is no one better. We are all together in this. That's the reality. And it's even acknowledging the uniquenesses that God has put and God has wired and God is. It's not about climbing to the top, it's about together. It's about being a kind of people that work together for it. And leadership today, listen, I will say this because I want to clarify it. I do believe out of Mark chapter 4, end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus says there are 30, 60, 100 fold. I do believe that there are 100 fold people in our day and age. In fact, I'll even mention some of them. A few of them are older, like the Apostle Paul. Okay, then let's jump some centuries. Like a Tim Keller, a John MacArthur, an Erwin Lutzer. I mean... I am so grateful for those kinds of individuals. And you would know of some that have ministered to you, or even today, Chandler, Chad, a Platt, so on. I'm so grateful for those kind of people. But I'll just tell you, on this side of the fence, because I used to be 20 years on, on the layperson side of the fence, on this side of the fence, part of what's going on is, is pastors on this side of the fence think that they all should be hundredfold. I'm not. And I don't think anyone here is. Let the Lord choose. But that's not the goal. The goal is to be among, and the goal is to lead, and the goal is to love, and the goal is to be among. 
And yet the average elder, pastor, leader just sometimes yearns for the hundredfold. 30, 60, hundredfold. Maybe I'm a 60. I'm not made for a hundred. I'm grateful for those who are. By the way, I'll just note here, your elders and pastors are laboring through even kind of where from here right now. Um, we're coming up to 10 years and we're looking to what about the next 10 years? The next 10 years is straight up with you. Um, I mean, I'm getting older. and I love passing things off. That's what disciple making is about. This isn't about building my legacy here. I have zero desire for that. Less of me, more of you. Okay? Yet I have a unique role here. I kind of have a public face in all of this. And that kind of, honestly, that's the Frodo burden. Think about it. It truly is. I'm just telling you, it truly is. Also, in my opinion, there's kind of a cancer with God's people, with leadership worship. It's kind of, you know, he's my, you know, what's with this Christian groupy stuff? I appreciate the recognition of some of these, but individuals, a hundredfold individuals, but we're together, First Corinthians 12. That's the reality of it. It's not about their gifting. It's not about their position. It's not about their, poly, their popularity. It, it's, it, it's give thanks. It's be grateful for. We should have a culture of that here above any people else. I mean, let's be the kind of people that highly regard and that recognize those that the Lord has put in front of us and, and esteem them rightly, but for the work that they are doing and how God is using them in our lives. Let's, let's be that, right, okay? Can we be that? I empower you to be that by the work of the Lord. And I'm going to wrap it up here with one more We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. This is one person kind of doing, if you will, or persons doing all of these and to esteem them very highly in, in love because of their work. And then the last statement, very interesting here, be at peace among yourselves. Romans twelve eighteen. as far as is possible, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes it's not possible. But be at peace. I'm asked to be a peacemaker we are asked to be peacemaking people. This does not mean an absence of conflict, but it means working through it. It's not a superficial harmony. It's not a lightweight kind of ignoring of things. It's a working together. It's a pressing into. Back in ancient times, people in ancient times used to highly value and actually would lean into people and asking them, what can I change? What could I do? That was seen as a sign of wisdom. Today, it's kind of we lean away from and in it, it's as we lean into each other and we come around to just think of it, if we're the kind of place that, that regards and recognizes and highly esteems and, and, and not only just what, what God has done with leadership and those who are ministering among us, but, but even in the whole reality that, friends, what is happening here is a direct reflection of the Godhead itself. It takes glory when this functions in the kind of a way where there is peace and unity. And these are the kinds of things that bring that. Community that is purposely seeking after the Lord and his fame only. Thankful for what, how God is using other people. 
And that is the kind of people that will have peace among themselves, working through it, wrestling it out. Well, the text goes on, and we'll be uh, in coming weeks diving into it here. Um, God's people are asked to recognize and highly regard those who labor among you, who are over you, who admonish you. Why? Because of their work. Uh, that's the kind of community that will be at peace among themselves. I just want to make kind of a statement on behalf of and kind of in the aspect of elders and pastors here uh, as some of the leaders. We're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for your knowledge with understanding kind of recognition. You have been a blessing. If you're new here and you wonder what's going on and you're wondering like, okay, under the ground, what's their fight? I don't know. When you find out, tell me. The Lord has so blessed this place. We don't take that lightly. Thank you. Thank you. We feel highly regarded by you and and for our work and um, we don't take that lightly. Thank you for being a delightful people to lead. It's humbling and we appreciate laboring for you. Also, as you hear the words of the text, know that we hear the words of the text as well. Pray for us. Please. Oh, please. We pray for you. Please pray for us as well. At Harvest, if we're this kind of church, I believe we have not yet begun to see what the Lord can do as a people united together. Now, I'm excited for us to kind of perfect text to take a few moments here and uh, kind of commission uh, two men from our church as elders, uh, Marland uh, Villanueva and Hans Stonehouse, a few words.